Welcome to season two of Dialogika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Swedian Lee, and I'm Stephanie Tangkilesan. After a longer than expected break, sorry, we are finally back and ready to go with a whole new season of episodes. This week, we're going to share a few life updates and what you can all expect in future episodes, such as new music, interviews, conversation, and more. We're also going to give a brief, not so brief, recap of what's been going on in Indonesia while we were both on break. So, without further ado, here's to it. And we're back. We didn't disappear actually forever. Only just for a few months, you know. Longer than intended, clearly. But as you probably, if you listen to our last few episodes, know that Sweden and I moved across the continents to the U.S. Between moving and immigration stuff, and just like settling into our respective new places, apartments, and things, we've just been really super busy and.、Um, Not all there together. Like I'm sitting in a dark closet with all of my suitcases still. So clearly, <laughs> not at my most ordered self yet. But I'm getting there. <laughs> but yeah, we're actually back and still as eager as ever to talk about Indonesian politics and society and、uh, issues that you know concern our beloved country.、Mm-hmm. So probably with this episode, you already noticed all new music that we have selected with some. A lot of feedback from some of you guys.、Um, some of you guys really hated our music, and we take that criticism to mind. And、uh, yeah, so there you have this new set of music. We're also lining up some really cool interviews in the next few weeks and the next few months.、Um, since we're out of the country, we're going to try more to do more interviews with people in Indonesia doing really cool things.、Mm-hmm. There are some core journalists that I follow and followed me back, or like cool. Indonesian is professors. I follow on Twitter, and because I have cool friends who are actually cool Twitter people, then sometimes they retweet my stuff. I、no、gain、deal. some garner of legitimacy somehow. So follow me on Twitter at StephTime. Hashtag #humblebrag. Plug. Oh my god. <laughs> Stephanie's like got a handle on this Twitter thing much better than I can. Other life updates. I'm starting school at Columbia School of Journalism in a few days. So how is it like in New York? Uh, I've actually haven't spent that much time in New York,、um, between going to Yellowstone and the Tetons, which is really interesting, right? Because、uh, I was mostly in rural America last week, like Idaho. I went to Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana,、uh, and there were like Trump posters and like banners and stuff. So like I didn't like nothing bad happened to me. Of course not. <laughs> Um, but like, and everyone was really nice and super friendly and everything.、Um, but I was also traveling with Anna, who's white.、Um, I don't know if that has to do with anything. But、uh, 
like I just don't know who's like that Trump supporter. Like, are they like secretly racist? I have no idea. And like, I feel like coming back to America this time is like an entirely different experience for me. Like when I left Chicago, I was like, you know, very optimistic. Barack Obama was still president. You know, like I just felt like America was this really warm, welcoming place where nothing racist really happened to me. And then like this time around, I'm just like, oh,、mm-hmm. like. When is when is this racism thing gonna happen? Like, did you? You kind of felt like you have to prepare yourself in case something happens, right? Like, yeah, I have to prepare myself mentally. Racism is real and alive and kicking in America. I mean, this is kind of like the situation we're in, and I don't know if you found it surprising when you got here, just like how how ridiculous it is sometimes being in. This I was just、right、taken、now. aback by my reaction. You know, like I felt like. Oh, am I being prejudiced here, or like, am I thinking too poorly of people? But I saw like a guy wearing a "Make America Great Again" hat, like in downtown Manhattan, downtown New York. So, yeah, you never know. Not sarcastically, too.、Um, <laughs> not sarcast. I don't think so. He was like wearing a proper blazer and like khakis. Like, I don't, I don't think this was meant ironically.、Mm-hmm. Oh, but I don't have hot water. Did you know that? <laughs> Random life update. I, I don't have hot water. I assume that's the next thing that you need to update. You have internet. You have Wi-Fi. That's pretty great. I have internet. Yeah, I installed my own Wi-Fi. I like got that Easy Connect box and like <laughs> was like, I don't want to pay fifty dollars for like some dude to install my Wi-Fi. I'm an independent woman who needs no router guy. Like installed everything myself. I was really proud. <laughs> And like it's really interesting. I'm I'm on T-Mobile, right? And like、um, the quota that I get is like less than what I get in Indo, supposedly. But it's been getting me through the month like way longer. Maybe you just have better phone habits, <laughs> cheaper phone habits. I mean, I'll use it outside of my house. I don't watch YouTube videos on the go. I like listen to podcasts on the subway and stuff. I don't know if you can hear it, but you can kind of hear the subway from here, from where I'm sitting. I can hear it. You need to buy the latest issue of the New Yorker because the cover is just like、uh, the MTA on fire. Oh yeah, I was gone for like that whole week where the MTA was on fire. I picked a really good time for being gone from New York. It was like the MTA is on fire. The city is on fire because of the heat waves. It's just like nobody wants yeah, to be there. My super has been really great, so he's helped me out with like installing my AC. He's gonna help me install my. Curtains tomorrow. Oh, you got an actual responsive landlord. Yeah, it's been great, Frank. Shout out to Frank. <laughs> Shout out to Frank for making Steph's life easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? Ah! What was that? Sorry the the pipe just like <laughs> the pipe just like buzzed and like sitting right next to the pipe like. I was surprised. Listeners, like this is this is the life of a podcaster right here. Like you gotta find any nook and cranny in your apartment to record, and stuff's right next to a plumbing pipe. <laughs> Podcasting life—it's so glamorous, guys. Like get into this. <laughs> I know. So enough about us. What's been going on in Indonesia, Stephanie? So I guess the biggest summer blockbuster has to be Balada Cinta Rizik or the love trials of Habib Rizik, the 
leader of the Front Pamela Islam or Islamic Defenders Front, who is responsible for uh, rallying the radical Islamic forces against Ahok, the previous governor of Jakarta. Who's now in jail because of these actions by the FPI. And I would say the FPI, the Islamic Defenders Front, is probably the most high-profile radical... Vigilante group there is currently. Like, they rallied around 2 million people against Ahok. They're still they're still very active, even though Ahok is already in jail. <laughs> yeah. And um, so basically with um, Habib Rizik, he's currently under fire for running the law against Unang-Unang Pornography or the Pornography Act because he sexted a, ma- a woman who is not his wife and there's naked pictures of her and the dirty chats are revolting. So he's currently in Saudi Arabia um, evading trial because of this act, which is interesting because now he can't really organize as well against Jokowi. So there's a lot of political motivations surrounding you know, his charges, you know, trying to weaken him and this movement. Um, but he's still a fairly influential, you know, even even in his absence, right? Like, oh yeah, so he's been on the run now for a few months. Like, welcome to New York. <laughs> the police sirens are chiming in on this conversation, and maybe they're hunting for Habib Rizik in New York right now. <laughs> but yeah, he's been on the run for a few months now. I remember when I was still back in Indonesia, he was he was already a suspect. You know, the case was growing against him, and. He was nowhere to be found. Like I remember the police was always delivering these letters telling him to come to the police office and he's never there. I wonder where he is. Yeah, basically, I think FPI was founded in 1999, but they've been very active in the last few years and seriously posing a threat beyond, you know, just occasional Ramadan raids mm-hmm. in which they bully restaurant owners who are still selling food on holy month of Ramadan. Um, but yeah, it's actually posing a serious challenge to the government. So another thing that the government has tried to do is earlier this year was to close the Hatayi or Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia, which is an uh, Islamic group that originally came from East Jerusalem in 1953. And um, their overall ideology is trying to create a Sharia state in all the countries they uh, operate in. It's like an international organization. They're everywhere. And, um, you know, Australia, Bangladesh, Denmark, Indonesia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Malaysia, Netherlands, Pakistan, Sweden, and the U.S. You know, so they're everywhere in the world. And um, the difference between them and the FAE is that whereas the FAE wants to take their street justice and, you know, acts of vigilantism in order to their efforts. Hizbut Tahrir is that are dialed down respectability politics, whose main efforts concentrate on finding government officials, converting them, and then slowly trying to implement legislative change to create a more Sharia state. They're more about the networks and uh, working within the system rather than just like fighting, trying to overthrow the system, right? Yep. And they're pan-Islamist. So basically that means that they want to create like a Islamic state across the world and throughout borders that doesn't recognize national boundaries. So the Hatay, because of this ideology, uh, they operate in more than 40 countries, but they're actually banned in many Muslim-majority countries, including Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey. And the reason why a lot of other Muslim countries are, you know, comfortable in banning them is that this pan-Islamist ideology, right? Like, so it, it tries to erode the sovereignty of the state, which is why um, Jokowi and the various ministers are saying that 
the hati can be banned because they don't agree with Pancasila, which is, you know, the idea of Indonesian state sovereignty. So that nationalist grounds that they're trying to ban hati without any legal due process, you know, without any actions, which is why a lot of journalists and activists are worried that this is creating a bad president for other rights groups. Uh, from what I've heard, there's a lot of backlash against Jokowi's proposed banning from both the left and the right, because as you said, the right might be concerned about Jokowi banning a right-wing group, right? But the left are concerned about this overreach of power, where the president can just say, if you don't agree with Pancasila, we're just going to like stop all your activities and you know, seize existence. So as of we're recording this, the status of the Hate has already been banned. So on July, um, in mid-July, um, Jokowi signed a law changing how organizations can be banned without due process. So currently, Hatayi is on paper no more. And this is like the government in the sense like the administration, right? This is not like, even if uh, the parliament uh, have opposition towards this, Jokowi issued a presidential decree. So it's an extra legal course of action right now. Yeah, before I think you were supposed to go through a judicial process to determine whether or not this organization really is against the law. And so the problem with this is that Hatay, even though ideologically uh, we don't agree with them, it's very, it's just scary to think that the government can choose to ban in seven days whatever organization it deems to be contrary to its values. So what if, you know, the president is no longer Jokowi and um, he just, and the next president decides that, you know, LGBTQ organizations are against the Pancasila and I think more worrying is for like activists who are trying to defend Papua or other separatist type states who are you know very much at risk, right? Um, so Fabiana Firdaus, a friend of mine and a journalist, wrote for Time about police brutality and violence in Papua. So, um, for example, uh, Indonesian police arrested more than 3,900 peaceful protesters in the region last year alone, um, mm -hmm. which means that a lot of like peaceful protesters who are trying to get human rights violations unearthed in Papua can be pretty much disbanded because even though they're peaceful protesters trying to fight for human rights, they can say, oh, they want to have a separatist Papua state. So it just puts groups that are already at the margin at risk. And that's what I'm scared. I'm not so much scared for maybe the general other human rights organizers, but I'm definitely terrified for on behalf of uh, Papuans and um, pretty much most outlying areas in Indonesia because, uh, you know, like mm -hmm. Indonesia since 1969, since we pretty much forced that region to be under Indonesia has led to more than 500,000 Papuans been killed. So it's just... Um, We're more worried about its implications towards the future rather than uh, about Hatay or really like uh, the current uh, use of the law. But it sets a precedent, right? Like we don't want it to set a legal precedent or extra legal precedent in, in this case. So another major thing that's happening within Indonesian politics is various attempts to weaken 
the Corruption Eradication Commission, or KPK, the anti-corruption force that is very much trusted and loved by Indonesians. Um, so against one of its lead investigators, Novel Baswedan, um, there was an acid attack that happened to him. It was a heinous acid caused attack. Him earlier this summer and caused him to lose an eyeball, <laughs> I think. And so initially, um, the police forces arrested around four suspects, but then released them. And then it's been going on for the last few months and nothing has pretty much no new action on, on his case. So um, Nafal and a lot of people came from being, you know, really optimistic about the bringing this act to justice to horrified about the lack of progress that's been done on this case. Um, because there are CCTV cameras of this acid attack. So they're like, why can't you find this person? It's a little bit tricky, right? Because um, to provide a little bit more context to who Nofal was and why he was targeted, not only was he a chief investigator for the KPK, the case he was investigating at that time was around the electronic KTP or identity cards case, where there was like a black market for people to buy and sell um, ID cards to influence elections, etc., etc. And um, just a lot of parliament members were supposedly misappropriating funds and, you know, giving special vendors um, contracts in return for money, basically. And it's a big case that's linked, like the previous speaker of the House, Satyano Fanto, and his party and a lot of other figures. And Nofel Baswedan was also a police officer who was investigating police. Yeah, the national police is also implicated in this case. So we've got... Yeah, so Nofel gave an interview that said um, basically that police, some police officer was involved in his acid attack. So that's another scandal, right? So in addition to the attack on Nofel as a person and as, as an investigator, there are attempts by the, um, the DPR or the parliament currently to weaken as an organization, the KPK itself, you know, by um, saying that there's gonna, there needs to be an oversight committee and there needs to be attempts to curtail its power. You know, they can't wiretap, they can't do all of these different things um, because supposedly uh, the KPK needs overseeing by the DPR that they are currently investigating. Uh, <laughs> You know, part of the success of the Kapeka over the last few years is its ability to target high-profile individuals. Exactly, like they are supposed to be neutral in the sense like mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be controlled that easily by parliament. And the thing is, like the parliament already has some control of the Kapeka. They're saying that, you know, Fahri Hamza, the current speaker of the house, um, said that, you know, any government organization needs to have oversight. And it's like the way KPK elects its commissioners, its main investigator, is through Komisitiga or the one of the DPR commissions that, you know, appoints these people. Like, they have to vote to elect the shortlist that the president gives for them to be KPK. So they already have that kind of oversight. So this is, I think, another attempt to weaken Jokowi's power. Leading up to 2019, you'll see all these different news items that are, that seems to be, you know, big but not related to Jokowi but in a way in a roundabout way if you understand Indonesian politics has to do with the presidential elections in some way shape or form yeah I mean you know I've already read reports of people jockeying for political alliances positions trying to slowly move their way towards creating an opposition towards Jokowi and I think Jokowi knows it and he's yeah trying to be smart and strategic about what he's doing right now but that's why it's um tying it all together it's that's why joko is so bent on you know and the p3 
people, the police, everybody else on his side are bent to, you know, for example, closing down Hatay and, you know, acting against Rizik because, you know, these are forces that are trying to challenge him being reelected in 2019. And not only that, right, like challenge the ideas of democracy and pluralism. I think in the past two years, we've already seen how right-wing extremist groups or any kind of extremist groups can easily latch on towards uh, national concerns about economic anxiety, social anxiety, and right their way up to the top. And that's a dangerous, dangerous threat towards democracy. And I think Jokowi sees that threat and he wants to nip it in the bud before it gets closer to 2019 because when it's already in election season, that's going to be the hardest time to do anything, right? Like people are going to be all about voting for the opposition or, you know, voting with their hearts rather than their heads. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how Jokowi proceeds in the next two years as we get ever so closer to 2019 and how other groups and political parties interact with him. So I guess that's what's been happening in Indonesia while we're out. If you like this kind of summary, please let us know. And we'll do more of them more often because this is fun to do. So as we're entering our second season and we've taken advantage of this longer than expected break, I actually listened to our previous episode and it said we're going to be gone for a few weeks. That turned into a few months. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, I have enjoyed it a little bit too much. It's been a really good break, honestly, for uh, Stephanie and I. I think it gave us a chance to not only take a break and sort of like rejuvenate our mental selves. Because, you know, we're doing this just the two of us. We don't have people helping us. It's when we have full-time jobs and other side hustles. As part of our efforts in, you know, making season two uh, of a higher quality and making sure we keep ourselves connected to what's happening in Indonesia... Uh, we'd like to introduce one of our volunteers, Sebastian Hanata, who reached out to us over the summer and is going to help us out. Through Facebook, so you can do that, guys. It was, complete, it was such a pleasant, out-of-the-blue surprise, and we're really excited to um, have him give his help and give his uh, thoughts about what we're doing. So welcome on board, Sebastian. We have really loved doing this, and we hope you guys enjoy the second season and continue listening and you know, giving us more interaction. I think we've connected with a lot of different communities via this podcast, which is super cool. And seeing like there's a really strong, you know, community in Indonesia concerned about these issues, cutting across politics, you know, society and feminism. And it's really exciting to meet these people and hear about their stories and share them to other listeners. And we hope to continue doing that in our new episodes upcoming. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com 
or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at Pod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again, and see you guys next time. Bye!